0: My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, steezy.digital and realnurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to LockBox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Gary Tenzer. Gary, thanks so much for being with us. Pleasure. Pleasure. Looking forward to having the conversation today. So, why don't you start off and tell our listeners who you are and where you're from?
1: Well, I'm Gary Tenzer. I'm, I live in Los Angeles. My company, George Smith Partners, is uh, based in Century City. And uh, we do um, real estate, commercial real estate financing for clients that are developers or investors throughout the country. Financings range from a couple of million dollars to the multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, they could be simple single tenant transactions to multi-tenant transactions, uh, residential track construction financing, a high-rise construction financing, permanent financing, uh, and every, every component of the capital stack are the tools which we work with, with, with which we work.
0: Absolutely, and you have a long history there, I uh, think a 43-year history with uh, GSP, and we'll yeah. dive in, into that and everything that you've learned and, you know, what you're doing today, but I'm curious, what got you into the real estate industry? What was your first exposure to the possibilities and power of real estate?
1: Interesting. That's it, it, a good question. Uh, my father was a developer. He developed uh, retirement communities and uh, single family, and he was building throughout the country. And uh, a number of years, he ran a, a national company that was on New York Stock Exchange but so i was exposed through him in real estate and development but that's really in the housing business which is really different than commercial real estate business as related and deals can be very large too but it's it's not the same thing cuz it's not income property it was a house to sell economics so i i became interested in real estate i was interested in business and my so i would go with him to meetings i'd walk construction with him on the weekends i'd go look at model sites And that got me into, that got me indoctrinated to real estate and uh, business. And I decided to, I wanted to head in the business direction and it wasn't it. So I did my undergraduate in finance and in, excuse me, in, in uh, urban land economics at Berkeley. And then after that, uh, I did a double master's in finance and real estate finance at USC. Uh, And in that, in, in the studying at, in university at USC is when I really became uh, exposed to commercial property, it was not something I had dealt with before. Obviously, I'd been to shopping centers and office buildings, but I'd never, I didn't understand how the economics worked. Right. But I learned about that in grad school, and then when I was graduating from grad school, I was very fortunate to have been introduced to George Smith, who was the had a national reputation as a, uh, as a just a brilliant financier, and he wanted me to join him and convinced me that that would be an interesting career. And I took him up on it and uh, it's now
0: 43 years later. Awesome. And today, George Smith, Smith partners, you know, what kind of debt financing are you doing on an annual basis? Like what level? Are you,
1: uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't looked at the, the numbers yet for the year, but my, it, this has been, I, I think the best year we've ever had. And we'll probably complete about four four and a half billion dollars of financing this year, in uh, in, of all different capital structures. So I I couldn't tell you how much that is permanent debt versus construction versus bridge versus
0: land. I mean the different different types of financing, but we it'll be a lot of each. Yeah, absolutely. And in our preliminary discussion, you mentioned something that sets you apart, and it's actually in your slogan: uh, is that you're really more of an advisor uh, rather than simply, you know, finding a potential borrower and just throwing an application out to a lender. So that's right. I would la- that's right. Uh, yeah, I would, I would really like you to expand upon that and and uh, really walk someone through what it would be like to work with GSP.
1: Well, we've taken it to a to a completely different level of professionalism than most others in the business. When I got into the business, um, a mortgage broker was, mostly they worked on on single-family homes, but if they were dealing with commercial properties, they were not particularly sophisticated. For that matter, the lenders weren't that sophisticated. And over the years, they've obviously learned through trial and error mistakes that they made, like the SNL crisis and other things that have happened, economic cycles, they've learned to be smarter lenders, they've hired more uh, educated, uh, people that, that, um, loan officers, et cetera, that aren't just. It didn't just learn about it as a trade, but they grew up in it. They have, uh, finance backgrounds and education. So there's a whole level of sophistication that's, that's come into the business over the past X number of years. And certainly the advent of the, of the computer, the personal computer had a major impact on that. Um, I remember I was a, um, consultant, uh, when I was in grass club consult, do a consultant work for Hewlett Packard. And consulted with them on the definition of the, of this financial calculator, and and they still make it fifty years later, or forty years later, whatever it is, and I helped develop the real estate applications for it, and from that I I started getting involved with computers and applying computers to commercial real estate and and loan underwriting. This was not something that lenders were familiar with, so I got a hold of an Apple II computer. This goes goes back to the I guess the early eighties, an Apple II and a program called VisiCalc, which was the very first electronic spreadsheet program. And I taught myself how to use it. And I remember taking loan, when I first started in the business, I was doing cash flows using green ledger paper and a pencil and eraser. Very, very cumbersome and slow. And I saw the, uh, at a user's group meeting one night, I saw electronic, this VisiCalc program on an Apple II next morning, I walked in saw George Smith. And I said, George, I just saw the future. And I then started creating applications for loans that we were trying to place with different lenders and showing the lenders how those loans would work because they really didn't have a, a good understanding of it. What was happening to the loan? The loans had some accrual features. So the balances were going up. There was some amortization happening. They didn't understand where they would be during different points of the, of the loan, where would values be, et cetera. So it was really rudimentary modeling. It got to the point with some lenders that got so dependent upon what we were giving them that they only wanted to see business from us, or they asked us to do the work for some other intermediaries and in which I declined to do. But obviously that wasn't a something that I was able to keep to myself over time. Others figured out that computers would help. And so there's a whole level of sophistication that began to come in because you could model things out and, and uh, see the effects of certain economic assumptions. That just was too cumbersome to do when you were doing it manually. So we we that's something that not just I but others in the company have learned to to use utilize these tools, and in the process of doing that, we became not just an intermediary where we take a package from a borrower and take it to a number of lenders. There are people who do that. We take it to a different degree of professionalism. We're doing, and the reason we do is because the capital markets recognize us and know who we are, and we have great relationships with we probably track four thousand capital sources in our database and probably do transactions with a couple hundred of them every year. and certainly show others deals that we don't do, that they don't do. So I don't know how many different inter- interactions we have with capital markets, but if we want them to respect us and to take something that we present to them and look at it that has been carefully and professionally prepared and and analyzed and understood, They know that if it comes through us, that's what they're going to get. It's not going to be something that doesn't meet what they want to do. doesn't fit their, uh, like we don't take a construction loan to a CMBS lender. I mean, it's just a complete mismatch, but some borrowers would because they don't know. But so by knowing what the capital markets are doing and what different, different lenders the capital markets are doing, we also then work with our client to provide alternatives to them. And that's the advisory function. So. A lot of times a borrower will say, I want certain features in a loan. And when you sit down with them, you start taking apart their business plan and, and, and understanding what, what's, what are their, what are their goals? Is this property that's going to be kept in the family as a property? That's just for trade purposes. What's the reason for, why are they financing it? What are they trying to accomplish and how do we help them position it for the capital markets to attract the best and most effective capital? for that application and to accomplish their goals so very often uh, i can give an example I, I just closed a loan a few weeks ago on a shopping center a borrower came to us and wanted a 10-year fixed rate life company loan and the property was 90 percent leased it had, had some problems during the downturn uh, during the COVID the tenants but it was up to 90 percent leasing but it was not 90 percent occupied there were a lot of new tenants so what i knew and he didn't is that a lender is not going to underwrite income until it's in place and has some seasoning so just because they have a lease to a certain tenant a lender isn't going to count that or a permanent lender a long-term fixed rate lender is not going to count that income until it's in place so what even though they came to us for cert, with a certain request and a certain requirement the deal wasn't ready for that and what it really required was an interim financing a bridge loan Uh, that would accomplish a lot of the other goals that that our client had and but it was only through spending the time with him and understanding understanding what his goals were and his objectives and i knew for example one of the things he wanted to there was a certain dollar amount that he had in mind well i knew that was something that probably was attainable a year from now but it wasn't going to be obtainable today so i have to then take his expectations relate them to the reality of the market and and then find the best source to accomplish what his, what, what his goals are. And that's, that's what we do. That's how we uh, distinguish ourselves. And in, in that advisory function, we don't charge for that. That's part of the service as part of what we do. And we, on, uh, transactions that we're financing, it's, uh, mostly, um, mostly paid on a success fee basis.
0: That's so valuable to have a borrower, be able to come to you and come in with some idea of what they would like but then for you to be able to really dig in deep and underwrite the deal, look at the financials with them and look at the bigger picture and say, this isn't what you need. You actually need this. And then after this 12 month bridge loan, then you can go get and lock in the longer term fixed Mm -hmm. loan. So tremendous value there in the advisory standpoint, because like you mentioned, even a lot of the financial industry 40, 30 years ago, uh, weren't really privy to a lot of the commercial financing and how things were working. And you know, certainly today, a lot of investors and borrowers have very minimal idea of, of the possibilities that are out there and different options that might be available to them based on their goals and their situation. So That's true. I think it's tremendously valuable and we have, what you're offering.
1: you're know, A lot of it also depends upon the sophistication of, of the client. Some of them are extremely sophisticated. We have uh, corporate borrowers. We have REIT borrowers. We have real professional real estate investors, developers that are our clientele. And we also have a lot of entrepreneurs. And we have a lot of people who, who have some cash and they're starting out in the business or access to cash. And, I, and they've tied a property up, but they don't know what to do with it. So it's a whole range. It depends upon who the client is. and And like I said, some of the clients are are really more simplistic in their approach, and some are much more sophisticated. And we have to be able to talk to any to any of them and to to meet their needs. And they may be different depending upon who the borrower. It will be different depending upon the borrower,
0: of course. Absolutely, and. With an anticipated $4.5 in debt financing this year, you're doing something right. So I, uh, I appreciate the approach, and it certainly is unique in the industry. I'm curious about your personal entrepreneurial journey of co-founding this you know, George Smith Partners. What is the single most important action that you've taken on a daily basis which has attributed most to your success?
1: Uh, taking the time every day to plan my day in advance and to think it through. I don't mean just look at my calendar, what appointments I have, but to think through and set priorities for the day. Recently, I've been using uh, Microsoft To-Do to help me set priorities and uh, maintain those priorities. And I find it a useful tool. There are others. But having, I think, a structured tool like that helps me get my thoughts down. It's a a place for me to put my thoughts If I'm sitting in in traffic. I'm not supposed to using touching my phone, but sometimes I do, I'll admit it. There are, um, you know, I could be sitting, having breakfast and I think, oh, I got to, you know, I haven't talked to so-and-so and and I'll make a note on the to-do list to do it on my phone. And then it shows up at my computer, all that information is in front of me. So I have it in front and have it accessible. And I think it's setting the priorities and trying to be, try efficient, uh, stay efficient. Uh, But you can't always plan. You don't know what's going to happen that day. You don't know what phone calls are going to, who's going to call. You don't know when a deal has a problem that you have to put out a fire. So obviously it takes some flexibility and, and agility to to move around and, and, and you can't be too structured. But I think that it's a mistake to just not plan in advance. I know I'm much more efficient when I do.
0: Yep. Couldn't agree more. And... Ironically, the episode that I recorded earlier today, we talked about the similar benefit of planning. And I brought up the example of one of my early mentors when I was at Cutco Cutlery, a new sales rep, and then I became a manager with Cutco. Uh, he said, one minute of planning saves two minutes of execution. And, you know, that always has has rung as a universal truth for me whenever I don't think there's enough time to plan it's because I actually haven't planned that week out and so I feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants and I actually need to take that hour or hour and a half to look at the week and block and tackle my most important priorities do those first Mm -hmm. and then when I do that I feel less overwhelmed I feel like I'm making progress I feel like I have clarity and so you're
1: in your control
0: yeah exactly
1: well, at least some semblance
0: of control. I mean, if any of us can ever control our own lives, you know, yeah. you control what you can. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned being on the cutting edge with the Apple II and um, that application that was similar to Excel, but it was like the first Excel, right? Uh, and I, I know
1: it, that dates me.
0: <laughs> but I'm um, curious now what, you you know, what, what kinds of... Um, future you see for the industry and how you're leveraging technology now to to you know continue to win as technology becomes more and more part of the industry
1: well there's a lot of different analytical tools i mean some of it is basic as using excel i use excel quite extensively for modeling out deals and, and looking at cash flows and but there, depending upon the property there may be something more sophisticated that's necessary like argus which is another analysis tool for analyzing leases on in a multi-tenant facility, uh, property. We have some models that we've developed internally in the company. And, and each of us have our own models that we work with, um, that help us understand and, and get our arms around a transaction quickly and, and, and extract the data from it. So there's that. One of the major things that we do in the company is we track lender contacts and lender information in a centralized way. It's in a Salesforce database that we've customized. And that enables us to keep track of what the status is of every transaction that's that we're working on who are we sent materials to what are their responses been when do we need to follow up next with them uh there's just too much information to keep in your head you got to system systematize it we're able to go in into the database and pull out Uh, I put in some criteria for a property that I'm working on. Um, I need a bridge loan on the following of this size and this, whatever, I put in some descriptive information I get and get, pull out a list of target lenders that we work with on that type of financing. Maybe I'll come up with a list of 30 names of which I could have come up with 15 out of my head and the other 15, I may not have thought of right away. And that data got put in by the, by somebody in another office that's working on a similar deal. And they were in the marketplace and they tracked with their lender information, what, what feedback they got from the capital markets. And I'm able to use that as intelligence in working with my client on my deal and vice versa. They see what I'm working on and can share that information. We are some companies, brokerage companies are very proprietary. And that is that I've just heard a situation where, where uh, uh, some people will not even talk to talk to a client from the office. They'll, they'll get go in their car or they'll go home and have the conversation because they don't want to have the person at the next desk over here in the conversation they you walk across you walk through a, a commercial brokerage office you see people flipping things over on their desk we are not that secretive we help each other quite a bit that uh, obviously I don't want somebody else in the company contacting my clients but that's but right. that that's not that rarely happens yeah. but what I want to be able to get is their intelligence and their knowledge of what of the path they just went down on a similar financing. And then I can share what I have with them. And that includes not just quotes from lenders, but uh, specific term sheets that lenders have offered. I can I can look at them across the company. The company. I can look at loan documents. Uh, so I can see how those deals actually got done and were negotiated, not just is not just reacting to a flyer that came from a lender over, over, uh, through email this is real-time live information that we've developed from our relationships and our conversations and, and working through a deal with lenders and then we try and capture that now that's something that we've been continuing to continuing to develop we keep broadening it out in sophistication we have a roadmap for further development on that and also if you if, you know you've read any of the real estate, uh, journals or wall street journal or whatever, you see that there's a lot of prop tech and fintech investment going on now for computerization of, um, of different aspects of commercial real estate and major investments going into that. And those are certainly things that we're working on as well. The goal being able to access our information, because we have just a tremendous amount of information we can maintain internally. You know, if, if we close 250, 300 deals in a year, that means that there's probably a thousand or two that we've looked at. Well, each of those deals have data attached to them, even though we may not have closed the loan because we never we decided not to work on it for whatever reason. But there's still data there. So, uh, how do you access that data? How do you maintain it? How do you make use of it? It's uh, we have about sixty people in the company right now, and so that, so just internally we're generating a lot of data this extraneous data that's brought into us. There's market research. There's appraisals. There's yeah. So how do you begin to make to to make sense out of all that disparate information and use it? And those are th- some of the things we're working on now.
0: Well, that's smart. The old school tactic of being a data silo environment where you're hiding things from your your you know coworker. Essentially, it's in the next desk over. I I get the concept because oh, you're in competition with them, right? They're in the same market as me. They're going after the same clients. But data is so valuable when it's organized and accessible. CoStar is what, a $40 billion valuation? Yeah. Right? And and that's because they have organized commercial real estate listing data in a way that's usable. Well, the firms out there that are doing the transactions have even more information than CoStar, but they don't organize it. And that's, so that's right. I, I that's think right
1: really smart or it's a or the tower of babel one company has got the data in a different mm-hmm. format than another company and, and yeah so how do you how it's do you get normalized. them to how do you right has to be normalized in some fashion and ai is helping in those in some of those aspects now uh some new yeah. tools are coming in that that are very helpful in that area but there's you can just throw your eyes out of focus and see so many different areas of opportunity to improve data flow access of information uh getting assembling the materials we need to get to a lender, putting uh, them together in a professional presentation and well thought through presentation that they can follow and uh, have as many questions and answers as possible upfront. That's all important. Um, and as I said, that's why lenders and, and other capital market uh, constituents will look at our packages first because they know they're well thought out and well documented. Makes sense. And so we built that reputation over years and, and we're fastidious right. about that reputation. We have very high emphasis on ethics, on quality, on writing skills, on, on uh, analytical skills. And, um, the last thing we want to come across as a bunch of hacks. So we really look at this as a
0: very professional,
1: uh, function
0: and a very professional organization. Well, and for good reason, these are major deals and there's a lot of yeah. money at stake. There is. So. You talked about while we were, um, you know, just getting ready for the podcast just before this, that you've also been expert witness on hundreds of real estate litigation cases over the last, you know, I'm sure multiple decades, but, um, it's interesting to me that you're able to, in addition to everything that you're doing at at GSP also be (laughs) flying around and, you know, sitting in trial and going to court cases. So, uh, I find that pretty fascinating. Do you have, um. Not that you can like share a story, but you know do you have anything that you'd like to share with our listeners about that aspect of of you and, and being an expert witness?
1: Well, I do it for a couple of reasons. One, I find it fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I really like look I like working with lawyers and the smarter the lawyer the better. I like working with complexity so I usually get involved in the large cases, the complex cases and frankly personally my fees are such that the small cases really can't afford me. In that in this context, as an expert witness, that's something that's paid on a fee on a per hour fee basis. It's not a contingent mm-hmm. basis. In fact, you can't be an expert witness and testify on a contingent basis because then you have an you have an a financial in, interest in the outcome of the case.
0: I have to be completely independent. So you're saying you, you have to be paid on a fee basis because you have to be unbiased.
1: Yes. I mean the court, if you have any contingent. So you will be asked that question in a deposition or in the courtroom. You will be asked do you have any contingent interest in the outcome of the case, and if you say yes, and remember, you're under oath. If you say yes, uh, you're out. You're disqualified. Yeah, you it, that's a total, disqual- yeah. completely disqualification. Yeah. So it has, it has to be paid in that way, and um, in fact, you have to be paid in advance. You can't you can't be waiting for to testify and have a big receivable and fees that haven't been paid because then you have an interest in making the client happy. The court doesn't care about you making the client happy. They make their interest in making it is you telling the truth and informing the court. Well,
0: that's a pretty good business model, Gary. You're paid in advance prior to the product being delivered. And the product is you offering expert witness testimony.
1: Right. Well, when I say I'm paid in advance, you're holding a retainer. It's like a lawyer. We feel like a retainer does, like a lawyer does. And when the case is over, what's ever not used in the retainer accounts refunded. Uh, but it's not contingent in that respect. It's something that I, I started doing it about 25 years ago with some, I knew, I knew a lot of, obviously in the transaction business, you get to know a lot of real estate transaction lawyers. And I don't remember exactly how it came about, but somebody had asked a lawyer about, do you know somebody who could testify on such an issue? And they thought, well, maybe call this guy. And in fact, George Smith, George Smith, who, who by the way, passed away in 05, uh, but george smith had been doing some of that during one of the downturns and, and i sort of picked up the mantle from him uh and it was one case and then another and it built upon itself and as i built reputation um more cases come in and i probably yep. spend no more than maybe 10 percent of my time in, in any one year uh doing expert witness work but it's i find it
0: particularly interesting and uh intellectually stimulating and i That's love awesome. testifying i love yeah, that and you You're uniquely qualified for it i mean 43 years in the business now a track record of cases that you've been an expert witness on Uh, i feel like that's pretty rare if someone's searching online looking for someone in that space i mean there can't be like a million people that fit within that you're probably in a pretty small sandbox with a a couple other guys and gals so
1: that's true that is true there there are very few people who have uh, the years of experience I've had that have have started a company like we've started here and 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 have that I've been uh, co-founder of. So not only am I an expert in real estate and finance and transactional issues that so I could testify as an expert in that respect, but the other thing that lawyers look for is they want you to be an expert expert. If I can't explain it to a jury or explain it to a judge, and these things can be very complex, these transactions be extremely complex. And if you have a jury and some of the jury are, are, you know, maybe the most sophisticated financial transaction they've ever done is financing a house, but not even that. Sometimes they're, you know, they, they've never had that exposure. So right. there's jargon that they don't know, there's, there's concepts they don't know. So when I'm in the courtroom, I become the teacher. And it's, it's my job to make sure that they understand these complex real estate issues and financial issues. Uh, they they need i need to teach it to them how, so, and, and, and try and present it in a way that they can understand it I, I i try and take as much technicality as i can out of it so it's a communication skill it's a listening skill it's learning how to respond when a lawyer asks you a question there's an expression that the lawyers have is uh, they say you know you ask somebody the time you ask somebody the time they tell you how to make a watch that's the last type of that's what they don't want you know, they they don't want you if they if they say, um, you know, how are you today? The answer is I'm fine. It's not I'm fine, but I got this and this and this and my back aches. And, that. you know, you don't want to you want to be limited in how you answer a question. You want to be very responsive. You don't want to say more than you're being asked because that can open up a window for additional questions that maybe you don't want to go down that path. Right. So it's in a sense, it's it's a lot like. It, you think of it like playing mental chess, that you are thinking about the facts of the case you're testifying on, but you're also trying to understand the strategy of the lawyers that's cross-examining you so that you don't hurt your position. That you don't want to talk against your own position. You want to be clear. And the other side has a way of wanting to make you say things or, or induce you to say things that you that you may not wanna say or aren't helpful. So you've gotta be very careful. And the only way, by the way, to do this is you've gotta really be a student. You've gotta study the case just thoroughly. You've gotta know it. And I don't know, by the way, I don't know the case like the lawyer does. The lawyer uh, is there to to deal with the law. They're not typically real estate experts, the litigator. They need that expertise. A litigator could be litigating a real estate case today and a drug patent case tomorrow. They obviously aren't experts in real estate finance or in drug patents, necessarily. They're experts in law and procedure, and they need to bring in experts to put the context of the specialty in front of the court. The lawyer cannot testify in court, cannot put evidence in front of the jury or the judge. That has to come in through either a witness in the case, somebody who is an actor in the case, or through an expert. And they're the only two ways that evidence gets into into consideration in
0: in either the front of a judge or a jury. Makes sense. Something that you mentioned in the middle, talking about making sure that you're communicating in a way that the jury and judge will understand. That's Mm -hmm. something that I can relate to from the marketing world. Because in copywriting, when you're thinking about writing an ad, it's so easy if you're working with a client and you're trying to brainstorm a headline they constantly are trying to say something in the way that they understand it which inherently will have jargon or assumptions that are made which ends up being a vague advertisement and something that's not clear to a layman an average person that's you know reading this ad that might be a prospect and they will just breeze right by it because they don't understand what the headline is saying. And so I'm constantly, from a marketing standpoint, thinking about how the perfect prospect I'm attempting to get the attention of would best understand this message. And there's actually this copywriting tool that analyzes your text and it tells you if an eighth grader would be able to understand it. Was oh, that right? Yeah. What's because, wrong? What about just finding an eighth grader? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> and and the reason was because the nationwide average reading level was eighth mm-hmm. grade uh, in a study that was recently I'm actually done. surprised it's that high. Right, right. I, I, I would have thought it'd be a little lower than that. But but yeah, yeah. And, and,
1: and when I'm dealing, when I'm talking, even when I'm talking to a judge, and very often these cases are in front of a judge and there is no jury. So it's the judge... That needs to understand the facts. and they need to understand not just the evidence, but what does that evidence mean? how does it how does it fit together? How should that transaction, how does that transaction usually work? and why didn't this work the way it should have worked for whatever aspect it is that you're trying to talk about, but very often the the judge will will turn to me and and start asking not just the lawyers ask me questions, but the judge will ask me questions. Can you explain this? What's the theory behind that? What? Why is this number bigger than that number? You know, so it it makes me tap into into my experience, my education, my experience as an expert. And and at different times, I've got got to call upon all these different things and then be able to explain it so that I can understand it. So it it takes some practice.
0: I I can imagine. So is there a question that I should have asked you or something that you'd like to expand upon from earlier?
1: About um, either the expert work or the or the or George Smith partners in general yeah
0: either one I want to make sure that uh there's nothing on your mind thinking oh I wish Jeff would ask me this because well you you didn't ask about
1: about uh sort of a geographic coverage I may have mentioned that we do we do finance properties across the country our clientele are across the country too I'd say predominantly if you looked at a heat map they'd be the large majority are in the western states but over the years, we found that people who really just wanted to buy properties in their backyard—in other words, if we had local clientele and they had, had local properties—what they found is investors have found over time is that they can get better yields in other parts of the country. Absolutely. So very often, you'll have a client that may be a local client, but they have properties all over um, different markets, different different property types. So in that situation, you can sometimes you follow the client around the country to do different different types of transactions or different transactions with them or sometimes the client is remote and they come to us because they know of us or, or refer to us somehow uh, and they're looking for that uh, for our financial expertise Makes So it, it works both ways but we have clients across the country and we have and we do financing projects across the country but you can see it if, if you're interested in seeing some of the closings and deals that we've done uh, we have our website uh, which is gspartners.com Uh, we have copies of, uh, we have information about deals that have just closed and we talk about them in, in here's the problem that we face. And here's a solution that we found, uh, what are the challenges and what are the solutions? So we usually write them up in that in that, in that way. we have a weekly newsletter that we distribute to 60, 70,000 constituents. It's free. You can sign up for it up on the website, the George Smith partners website. And that also does the same thing. It discusses transactions, what was done, why it was done, what the terms of the transaction were. And that way, uh, people can get an idea of what's going on in the capital markets by looking at deals that have actually closed. And, and that's all made available to, to uh, whoever wants to come by the website and look at it.
0: Awesome, that's super valuable. I know that you know as a commercial real estate agent myself, I'm constantly looking for high quality news and outlets that I can get information on deal flow, uh, different macroeconomic factors, local economic factors, what's happening in finance world. Um, you know, so having a resource like that is tremendously valuable and the transparency of the deals and and the back end, it's something that's, unless you go, into the off-market transactions in your area two years back and you start just pouring through spreadsheets and making phone calls you can't really piece that stuff together very easily so that really is a, a tremendous value and um, i think i'm going to go sign up for that <laughs> um, uh, it,
1: it, it, as i said it's free and it's it, it, on the website it's called financing facts Finfacts, and uh, that's our newsletter but we each have our bios on the website and anybody can you know, find either me or one of my partners or associates. If you have a question about real estate financing, feel free to call us as it's, it's always, we're always happy to talk to you and, and give you our thoughts and our advice. And maybe one day you'll be a client, it doesn't even have to be that particular deal. So we're very free with sharing advice and, and information with professionals in the business, as, as well as investors, I mean, professionals, Commercial brokers use us as a ref, as a resource, and as do uh, investors and developers use us as a resource. Whether they hire us or not, we're we're there to help, and and hopefully one day they will be a client.
0: Yeah, I think that's the right attitude, and I appreciate that being a resource. So, how can listeners contact you? You mentioned going to the GS Partners website. Uh, is there any other way? You can uh, to me directly.
1: Um, my direct line is three one zero eight six seven. 2903 and that rings right to my office and if i'm tied up at the time leave a voicemail i'll return your call or email is always a good way to reach me 310 excuse me email g-t-e-n-z-e-r-g tenzer at com. and our website is www.gspartners.com
0: awesome i'll link uh, to that below and mm-hmm. uh, gary Tenzer, i appreciate having you on uh, did you want to say anything uh, really quickly before we... Uh, no, it's a
1: ple- it's a pleasure to talk to you and, and uh, your uh, constituents and uh, hope we can meet one day in person and uh, have a really great holiday.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on. It, it was a stimulating conversation talking about the capital advisory services that you offer as well as the expert witness. It is pretty fascinating when you uh, dove in and explained it more. I, I think it piqued my interest uh, than, more so than previously. So... Uh definitely we'll uh, keep in touch. You know, I'm just in Huntington Beach here in LA. See if we can uh, meet some time and I appreciate having you on. Thank you. Great, pleasure. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show